don't know. I like apparently have just made up aspects of this book. <laughs> and now I'm like, huh, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I barely wrote my own version. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy? I'm Luke. I'm Emma. And we are on chapter 36, The Wit and the Sword. Feels like a, a grandiose title. True. The beginning of this chapter is talking about the Out Islanders and how, and, and Taker and the orig- origins of Buckkeep in general, mm-hmm. at least for the first paragraph here. And it's kind of talking about the existence and relationship between the Six Duchies and the Out Islanders, specifically saying, trade and raiding and piracy have all existed simultaneously between the Six Duchies and the Out Islands. But the commencement of the Red Ship Raids marked a change in this abrasive and profitable interchange. Both the savagery and destruction of the raids were unprecedented. Some attributed it to the rise in the, to power in the out-islands of a ferocious chefton who espoused a bloody religion of vengeance. Other out-islanders, never before united under one leader, were coerced into swearing fealty to him under threat of forging for those and their families who refused him. And his name was Kebel Robrod. I think that's the first time we hear his name in these books. Yeah. Because he's still around in the Tawny Man trilogy, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, he is pretty much out of his mind and almost fully forged and just angry. Though. Right. So he's lost like all the once the uh, the war was lost. Uh, Illustrate. I don't know. Whatever her the pale woman's name is, she kind of just used him to try to bring the dragon to life. Right. Hmm. But yeah, that's a. It, it, it's an interesting. For first-time readers, at least, it's an interesting right. point to notice. And there's like, oh, there's rumors that he was this kind of guy, and there's rumors that, he, that people were coerced. And it turns out that both were true. He was a, a, a pirate or a raider who cooked up a following by being very violent and bloody and espousing vengeance right. for the, I believe it's hinted that it was for the King Wisdom War. Mm-hmm. When King Wisdom flew over and, you know, destroyed the Out Islanders, basically. Right. And Kebel Robred took it upon himself to say, hey, we need to take vengeance against these people here. And he attracted followers and eventually, through threat of forging, made other people join him. Yeah, it is really interesting to think about how that is all going on in a way that we are not really aware of in this book. Like, especially if you're a first time reader, this isn't like, I mean, obviously the red ship raids are a big point, but we're not getting to see any point of view from the out Islanders and what's going on in their lands. Right. It's just like little tidbits here and there. We don't know how bad it is for them too. And I don't know, I think this is a good way to remind people that, like, as horrible as the Red Ship Raids are, some of those people are being forced against their will to be part of it because otherwise their family gets Mm -hmm. forged. And that's, like, really bad for them. (laughs) So 
I feel like that's uh, another reason why I really like the Tony Man trilogy is that we're kind of growing up with Fitz. It's been, what, 15 years since the end of this one, basically. Mm-hmm. I think he's like 35 or something at the start of that one. And we kind of learn more about the quote unquote enemies. Right. And how the royal family, Ketrickin and Dutiful, uh, mostly Ketrickin probably, <laughs> and Jade. <laughs> really, really worked hard to broker peace between the two nations after this war because it's only been 15 years and they're already marrying into the royal family. Right, yeah, you know, it's big deal. And it's a no-brainer that tensions are still high. So I think I think that's why I like the Tawny Man because like, this trilogy is basically hinting at the setup for that one the whole time and it's not even like a direct sequel. Right. <laughs> because there's time <laughs> in between. So I don't know. Looking forward to that. That one eventually. Yes. In a couple years. Yeah, but it does. This is a really good reminder that like there are other things going on in the background and don't get caught up in this section of like monotony because there's just like carving of a dragon going on. And it also reminds the reader that the Farseers come from Al Island Raiders. Yeah. That originally the very first king. Taker. Uh, Taker was just a raider who got tired of piracy and stayed. He took over the fort and it was wooden at the time and he just rebuilt. He raided the fort and then just stayed. (laughs) Decided not to leave. So I think that's also a really interesting thing to like be a reminder of like, not only are there other things happening right now that we aren't really touching on, but like it's even more complicated because this is a symbiotic relationship between our Islanders and the duchies that has been broken because of the red ship raids. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if I would call it symbiotic because I don't think the six duchies are benefiting really from the periodic raids, but they have been, you know, trading in the past and things like that. So I don't know. I feel like, I feel like it's less raids I don't, maybe I'm I'm thinking like they have like some way to like write it off for tax purposes or something. I don't know. <laughs> wow. Okay. Another <laughs> six duchies tax code. Let's go. <laughs> Let's dive into that. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, maybe they're not benefiting, but we don't get any details about the magic, and we see that firsthand. Do you think we're gonna get stuff about the tax code? <laughs> <laughs> well, we know that they do get taxed. So. <laughs> true. True. Verity is chipping away at his dragon, and Fitz, as he told himself at the end of last chapter, he was going to go help, but Verity has said no. Yes, and he is not happy about it. No, yeah, Fitz is not happy, and Verity is not happy to repeatedly tell him no and to stop it. Right. Just annoyance on both sides. So Fitz is asking, why won't you let me, and... Verity is slowly kind of like scooping himself up to look at Fitz to have a conversation. And as he does this, Fitz notes that the dragon is coming along really fast now. Yeah. So obviously whatever Kettle and uh, Verity did last chapter that they were hugging and excited about is working and helping to make this dragon Mm -hmm. come to life more. And I do want to say right here that Fitz in his mind is thinking... It was immensely attractive in the way that a sparkling creek glimpsed through the trees draws the eye, or the smell of fresh baked bread wakes hunger. I long to put hands on 
and help shape this powerful creature. The sight of their working awakened a skill hunger in me such as I had never known. It goes to show that like this is a huge uh, attraction and it's awakens a skill hunger that he has never known and he dreamed about that skill river for a month right. straight. Yeah, so it's even more intoxicating than that dream. And Verity just has to sit there and be like, no, you can't. Yeah. And I think Fitz is really frustrated. He says, you know, I've been skilling to you for forever. So why are you, why don't you just let me be part of your coterie? I can help. And Verity brings up that Fitz doesn't really know what he's asking. Yeah. He specifically brings up the Kingsman conversation when he first gave Verity strength. And he asks Fitz, do you remember when you did that? And Fitz says, well, I know my strength better now. And Verity ignores it to say, you didn't know what you were offering me when you told me you were a Kingsman. I took you at your word that you knew what you were doing. You didn't. I tell you plainly right now that you don't know what you're asking me for. I do know what I'm refusing you. And that is all. And he does. Verity knows best in this case. Yes. And Fitz has no idea what's happening. <laughs> right. And to be fair on Fitz, he has no idea. Nobody's told him. Yeah, it's very opaque. Yeah. <laughs> as a concept. He doesn't understand. I mean, it's been kind of spelled out to him without somebody directly sitting him down and walking him through the steps. Like he knows that Verity's feeding memories into this and it's depleting Verity's life force in some way. But I don't think he realizes that like actually his memories are gone and well, not gone because he can still access them, but like the feelings mm -hmm. <laughs> they're gone and that eventually so will Verity be. And yeah, I think that that's something that Fitz isn't quite grasping. And yeah. so as frustrating as it is that, like, they're not telling him exactly why, it is still they something that clearly isn't what he understands. Yeah, they feel like they have told him. Yeah. And Verity's like, you still don't understand. I'm not going to let you do this because you don't know what you're offering. Yes. And this is kind of like childish of Fitz to not just trust that these two people who are way more trained than he is in the skill know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. He wants to argue. He wants to help. And I get that he like has a need to help, but I don't think he is understanding that part of that want to help isn't noble. It's because it's addicting and he wants to use a skill. Right. And he's not, he's kind of brushing over that aspect mm -hmm. he's kind of making it into a like, don't you trust me? And it's aren't like, we oh, friends? You, you can just, teach me what I'm missing and then I can yes. help you. And Verity's like, it's not your decision. And if you truly wish to help, go get some bows and make a broom. Sweep the rock chips and dust away. It is damnable stuff to kneel in. I would rather be of real help to you. I muttered disconsolately as I turned away. Fit chivalry. There's a sharp note to Verity's voice. One I had not heard since I was a boy. I turned back to it with dread. You overstep yourself, he told me bluntly. My queen keeps these fires going and sharpens my chisels for me. Do you put yourself above such work? At such times, a brief answer suffices best. No, sir. Then you shall make me a broom. Tomorrow. For now, much as I hate to say it, we all should rest, at least for a time. And they head down to uh, the camp. Right. And I think this is really important because 
Fitz is kind of being a brat here and like stomping his feet and crossing his arms and like, let me do it. And Verity has to remind him that like Ketrickin isn't getting to help either. And she's super important to me. Do you think it's because you're like better than her? Right. And so I'm glad that Verity stuck up for his wife. But also <laughs> it is a little different because his wife does not have the skill. <laughs> And speaking of Ketrickin, he does offer what he can. He turns to her and says, My lady, shall we sleep a while? And she turned. With a grey-dusted hand, she wiped the straggling hair from her eyes. As you wish, my lord, she replied. She was able to keep almost all her pain from her voice. Ketrickin, uh, well, Kettle responds like, Hey, if, if it's fine, I can work a while longer. And Verity's like, No. You know, it's better to work in the light. And Ketrickin takes that as an affront, basically. Right. Saying, I could build the fires larger, my lord, if that is what you wish, she said carefully. No, I wish to rest with you beside me, if you would, my queen. It was no more than the bones of his affection, but she seized on it. I would, my lord. It hurt me to see her content with so little. She is not content, Fitz, nor am I unaware of her pain. I give her what I can, what it is safe for me to give her. That was in the skill. Yeah. Which, oof. (laughs) I think this is a really good chapter to show that, like, Fitz isn't as mature as he thinks he is. Right. And Verity isn't as unaware as he always is and has gotten way better from that first chapter we met him. Yes. And I think that like, it's a really good reminder because we are reading this series from Fitz's point of view. It's really easy to forget that he's like 18 here. (laughs) He is still a kid, a a fresh adult. He hasn't, I mean, as much as his life experience is very wide and different than like a normal 18 year old, (laughs) it's still, a child's point of view on life. He hasn't matured enough to grasp that like sometimes your leaders do know more than you and they do know what's best. And it's not because they're like keeping you from making the best choice you want to make. It's because they already know that like there is no other choice. He went through the full morphing. At least he hasn't gotten to the final stage yet of one. Oh, my parents know everything. Adults know exactly what they're doing to the middle part of you know, adults aren't perfect. Mm-hmm. Shade makes mistakes. That's crazy to me, but it happens, I guess. That's wild. And hasn't quite gotten to the point of they may make mistakes, but they have been here longer than you and yes. still do know what's best most of the time. Right. Like, <laughs> I think it's really interesting. I don't know. I just really like this perspective of people being like, hey, Fitz, you actually don't know what's going on at all. And maybe you should stop pretending like you do because you don't. And it's, like, refreshing to remind ourselves that, like, oh, yeah, Fitz is not necessarily a reliable narrator. Right. And it is sad because this means that Verity knows that his wife is really struggling and has to just not be able to comfort her. Like, he's giving the comfort that he can, like he said, what he feels is safe to give her. But also all, like, the strength of his emotion is gone. Yeah. (laughs) so he this is what he has and i think it's really sweet that even though he has put like basically all of his emotions for ketrickin into the dragon that there is still love and respect there and that he is still like trying to help her 
And yeah, I don't know. Sad, but cute, I guess. <laughs> we find the cute parts where we can. Yes. <laughs> they walk down to camp and Fitz passes Starling. And she is holding her harp and it catches his eyes. She offers it to him as she notices that Fitz is kind of staring at it. And he mentions that the fool had outdone himself. There is no guilt or curly cues, no inlays of ivory or ebony, such as some would say set a heart apart. Instead, there was only the silken gleam of curving wood and that subtle carving that highlighted the best of the wood's grain. I could not look at it without wanting to touch it and hold it. The wood drew the hand to it. The firelight danced upon it. Kettle stopped to stare also. She folded her lips tightly. No caution. It will be the death of him someday, she said ominously. <laughs> Which is uh, fun to point out because all the descriptions we've gotten so far of Kettle, once she got unlocked from the scale in the past, you know, half right. a chapter or whatever, were bubbling and just talking about her sister nonstop and working steadily and super happy. And then <laughs> <laughs> she, she passes the fool's handiwork on the harp and's like, ugh. Same old kettle. Yes. <laughs> so the old kettle's still there somewhere, but she definitely has a little bit more energy than before. Fitz realizes that he's really tired. This whole, even though he took a long nap uh, last chapter where kettle kind of forced him to go to sleep, <laughs> he is still tired. Like a lot of things have happened and it's just exhausting to be in this trip. So he decides to sleep. And as he goes to sleep, he has, he's drawn into a scene through mm -hmm. skill. Yeah. This is the scene where Burek and Molly get attacked and Molly uses her quote unquote wit to yes. <laughs> fend off this attack. It's, it transitions very suddenly uh, because like, we've noticed this before and have pointed it out before that the skill dreams kind of just seamlessly happen in the paragraphs. It says, despite my long nap earlier, I sank into sleep almost as soon as I lay down. I do not think I had been a, had slept long before I became aware of a stealthy noise outside. I wit quested toward it. Men, four, no, five of them moving softly up the hillside toward the hut. Which, like, same paragraph, literally just a sentence later. Like, oh, I don't think I slept long, but I did notice some life movement, you know. Yeah. It transitions really abruptly, which is very, very interesting. And I think really well done by Robin Hobb because it puts you into mind of, like, he kind of instantly fell asleep and skill dreamt, like, right away. Yeah. No, it is really interesting, though, because I wonder what brings his skill attention there. I mean, he's been fending off the thought of Molly for a really long time and has been doing really good at it. And maybe he it's just because he fell asleep so fast he forgot to set his walls or something. It just with the increase of his use of the skill that day, it made him more susceptible. Could be. It could be also the... So when Verity and Fitz are skill walking and witnessing the raids, Verity makes a mention of like, oh, they called me also. So it could be something like these people are very connected to Fitz and they kind of called out to him because they noticed something's wrong. Right. You know, just like a, a heightened emotion or something. Yeah, that's true, too. I don't know. But either way, he is called and he watches the scene unfurl. 
So it is Burek letting Molly know that he hears he thinks there are people outside and that she needs to get her shoes on and stand by the window with Nettle. And Molly just gets ready. There's no hesitation. She's not asking a ton of questions. She just gets ready to go. And Fitz feels some sense of pride at that, that she's so strong and ready to save her child, I guess. Well, not not pride in like himself, but proud of her. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. That. That's what I meant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, Burek grabs a short sword and says, like, if I tell you to go out that window, you don't hesitate. You just go out that window with Nettle, but not until I tell you to. Yes. And in this moment, Molly draws her knife belt, belt knife, sorry, (laughs) and is ready to protect her child. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important to note that both of them are so ready to do this, it feels like they both know already the danger that is lurking, Mm -hmm. which is really interesting because we don't, I mean, we're not around Burek and Molly all of the time. We only get these little snippets. So I really wonder if maybe Burek has like what Burek has told Molly and what the extent of like, Hey, you're in danger because everybody knows that's Fitz kid. Maybe. Even if we're going to pretend it's mine. Like, Jade could have sent off a warning as well to him. That's true. So, like, that's how he would get the knowledge to talk to her about it, you know? Yeah. The five men outside start to try to break in the door. And as soon as it's about to break in, beer comes from the other side and pushes it back on them. And he starts to uh, protect the house. Two of them go down, and the third one was a big man, red-headed and red-bearded. He came through in the door with a roar, trampling right over the two injured men who squirmed under his boots. He carried a long sword, a lovely weapon. His size and blade gave him almost twice Beric's reach. Because remember, I always have to remind myself, Beric is a smaller man. Yeah. He is not super tall. He's just really beefy. Yeah. <laughs> He's similar to Verity in that way. Yeah. And there's another uh, another man behind him, a stout man bellowing, In the name of the king, we've come for the wit bastard's whore. Put down your weapon and stand aside. He'd have been wiser not to rouse Beric's an- anger any brighter than it was. Almost casually, Beric dropped his blade to finish one of the men on the floor, and then brought the blade back up inside Redbeard's guard. Redbeard retreated, trying to get space for the advantage of his blade. Beric had no choice but to follow him, for if the re- the man reached a place where he could swing freely, Beric would have small chance. A stout man and a woman immediately surged into the door. Beric spared a glance for them. Molly, as I told you. I do want to point out that Beric is using a sword here, and as a reminder, that's not Beric's, like... Weapon of we- choice. Yeah, he's yeah. more of an axe wielder. And so it is really impressive that he is still that skilled with a sword where he's able to do some maneuvering and get in. I mean, I guess I'm he's sure a he trained was, yeah, soldier. He's a trained soldier. I'm guessing it was like Fitz where trained everyone trains with the sword first and then you kind of like learn the other ones. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I do I do still think it's like commendable that this isn't his natural, I guess, <laughs> go to weapon. And he's still really good at it. And he is defending as best as he can. But he does tell Molly to go out the window. And unfortunately, before Molly can get all the way out of the window, she has one leg out. The woman 
that had rushed inside has grabbed hold of Nettle. And to Bjork's surprise, and Fitz's, instead oh, the, of... The man grabbed Nettle, oh, actually. Sorry. Yeah. The woman stabs Bjork in the back with a knife. Yes. Um, but to Bjork's surprise, Molly ran away into the darkness instead of staying to grab Nettle back. I heard Molly's shriek of terror and fury. Then she ran away into the darkness. Disbelief. I could feel Burek's disbelief as plainly as my own. And then there's kind of like a stalemate there because... They have the child. They have the child and Burek is just like, don't harm it. Yes. Burek slowly drops his weapon and then tries to basically bluff and say like, why? Why have you come for my daughter? Yes. And claim it as his own. Claim, uh, claim Nettle as his own. And the man there, the stout man, repeatedly just saying, like, yeah, she's not yours. We know. We know that she's Fitz's. We have it on the best authority that it's the wind <laughs> bastard's child. Fool. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, I think they got it from Regal himself. They don't right. know it's... Right, yeah. I don't know. They don't know how Regal has that information. <laughs> He lifts Nettle high as if he would dash her against the floor and stares at Burek, and Burek makes a sound of half-fury, half-plea, and drops his sword. Burek then says, you know, she's only a tiny baby, let us go, you're mistaken, she's my own blood, all that sort of thing. You know, I have gold, I'll take you to it, just let us go. And Fitz notes that Burek who would have stood and spit and fought to the death, dropped his sword and pleaded for the sake of my child. Redbeard roared out his laughter, but Beric did not even turn to it. Still laughing, the man stepped to the table and casually lit the branch of candles there. He lifted the light to survey the disheveled room. Beric could not take his eyes off Nettle. She's mine, he said quietly, almost desperately. Stop your lies, the stout man said disdainfully. She's the wit bastard's get, as tainted as he was. That's right, she is. All eyes turned to the door. Molly stood there, very pale, breathing hard. Her right hand was reddened with blood. She clutched to her chest a large wooden box. An ominous humming came from it. The bitch you sent after me is dead, Molly said harshly as you will soon be if you don't put your, down your weapons and free my child and man. The stout man grinned incredulously. Redbeard lifted his sword. She continues on bluffing, saying that the child is witted, of course, and so am I, and that, oh, my bees will not harm us, but they know who to attack. Right. And that they will die from the bee stings, that, like, the bees can sting them a million times, and you're, you're going to die from it. So just know that they may look, you know, not that scary, but they are. They they look a little like, OK, this is weird uh, and maybe a little freaky, but they say, I don't believe it and still kind of have the kid. And Molly continues on saying, you don't believe it and reaches out and grabs, you know, some of the bees with her glove and they're moving around on her hand and everything like that. She closes the lid of the hive and then stood she looked down at the bees, coating her hand, and said quietly, The one with the red beard, little ones. Then she held her hand out as if offering them as a gift. 
And they start flying towards the guy. Yeah. I will say she's not wearing a glove. Her hand is gloved with bees. Oh, yes. So there is no glove. That's her bare hand. (laughs) But yeah, so Molly is using her bee knowledge to its full extent and pretending to be witted. Um, I would like to say that I follow a beekeeping woman on social media because why wouldn't I? (laughs) And I know that it's actually real that you could like some bees usually when they're like not being jostled around too much, um, you can tell if they're hostile or not and you can just scoop the bees. Yeah. Like it's, that's a real life thing. So it's really cool that that's added in there. And so this, I think it's really interesting that her having the bees on her hand and they like start going towards the guy is like amazing. I like it's uh, so I I looked it up a little bit, too, just to see if there's like a real world equivalence. And I saw an article who knows if it's actually true (laughs) or not, that red is one of the colors that they will get aggressive to like red and black. So with Hob repeatedly saying the red bearded man and everything like that, it is kind of based in reality, I guess, but (laughs) I was, I was wondering if like the vibrant color of red attracts them anyway, because I know bees in general will like, I mean, they go after flowers, right? So they pollinate Mm -hmm. flowers. I would think that bright colors would attract them anyway. So I was wondering if it was something to do with like, thank God he has red hair or else. Yeah. Right. (laughs) I don't know. But they, yeah, they, they take off from her hand and start flying towards a red beard. He says, call them back or we kill the child. And he batted that at them ineffectually with the branch of candles he held. Molly instead stooped suddenly and heaved up the whole hive as high as she could. You'll kill her anyway, she cried out, her voice breaking on the words. She gave the hive a shake and the agitated humming of the bees became a roar. Little ones, they would kill my child. When I set you free, avenge us. And the stout man is like, hold, I'll give you your child. Molly's frozen there, holding the very heavy hive above her head. But her voice is calm as she says, Give my baby to my man. Let them both come to me, or you shall all die most certainly and most horribly. I want to say that I think Molly is incredible here. She is using quick thinking and wit to get through this. And yeah, <laughs> lowercase w wit. <laughs> and not only that, but she isn't backing down. And she makes the point that they're going to kill her. You're going to kill her anyway. So why would I call back my weapon just for you to kill her? Right. Do it now. And I think that's really important because it's not something we see a lot. Like Fitz's whole deal is like, maybe if we work with people, they'll do what we want. And I think that's something that's like been a theme throughout the book is that Fitz is trying to play by the rules because if you play by the rules, things work out. And here Molly is like, no, I'm not negotiating with you. (laughs) Give me my child now. We don't negotiate with terrorists. Yes. So I don't know. I just thought that was really nice to see. And I, I like how strong Molly is here that even though just seconds ago, we had the whole disbelief that she ran away. I think that, I'm glad that we get to see that it wasn't out of like cowardice or self-preservation. She just knew that there was nothing she could do in that moment. And she was 
getting a better opportunity to come back and save her kid. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just really like that. When she says like, hey, give me my, give me up my baby to my man and let them both come to us. He's like, well, Regal's going to kill us anyway if we don't do this. Right. And she goes into a very descriptive scene of how they will die from the bees, ending with, you will die choking on them. And their and her descriptions seem to move them <laughs> in right. the direction of her choosing. And so they give Nettle to Birik. Birik comes over to her. And Molly is directing them around. You, pointing at the red beard, get over there beside him. Birik, take Nettle outside. Take her to where we picked Mint yesterday. If they force me to act, I do not wish her to see it. It might make her fear the very bees who are her servants. Birik obeys, and Fitz is amazed by that. Right. And once he was outside, Molly backed slowly toward the door. Do not follow, she warned them. My wit bees will keep be keeping watch for me right outside the door. She gave the hive a final shake. The roaring hum increased, and several more bees escaped into the room, buzzing angrily. The two men are pretty much frozen there, and the man, the injured man on the floor gave an incoherent cry and scrabbled away from her as Molly backed outside. She dragged the door shut behind her, then leaned the hive against it. She took the lid off the hive, then kicked it before she turned and ran off into the night. Birk, she called quietly, I'm coming. She did not go toward the road, but off toward the, ro- the woods. She did not look back. And Verity calls him away, because... Yes. They shouldn't see where they're going. Right. Which, great thinking on Verity's part. But also, Verity's there too. Mm -hmm. And, I don't know. It's really interesting. Verity is really worried that where they go next will also be let out. And if he says, Fitz, if you would have listened to me the first time, this probably never would have happened anyway. So, really, we need to not watch. You need to keep your walls tight and not seek after them so that nobody knows where they are and it'll be better that way. And Fitz is kind of touched that Verity cares so much. Mm-hmm. And then Verity has to remind him she's my heir too. Like I'm not doing this for like, just for, yeah, you know, like <laughs> uncle love. Yeah, yeah. Like it's like, that's the heir to the kingdom. We have to watch her. He says, do you think I could stand by and do nothing if they had injured her? He shook his head at me. Stay away from them, Fitz, for all our sakes. Do you understand? I nodded my head. His words could not distress me. I had already decided I would choose not to know where Molly and Birk took Nettle, but not because she was Verity's heir. Kettle and Verity stood and left the tent. I flung myself back into my blankets. That kind of ends that scene. Right. I think Fitz here is trying to be like, I'm not following them because then nobody will know where they are without realizing that Verity can very easily find where they are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think there's some form of connection that Verity could follow right. if he wanted to, and which I don't think Fitz understands. But also it's really interesting that Fitz has this whole, well, I'm going to do it, but not because you told me to do it because I wanted to do it already. Even though like, okay, Fitz, whatever. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he did know that he couldn't, but I think this really solidifies, like, you can't know. Like, look at how much yeah. danger they were in tonight. You you just can't give anybody that information. According to Verity, they were not in that much danger, though. <laughs> yeah. Because he would have stepped in. Also, like, 
how? What was Verity going to... That's what I want to know is, like, was one of the people there to get the... Get Fitz's child witted? Or, I'm sorry, skill touched? So Verity could have, like, taken over their body? Remember, you don't have to be, like, skill touched or anything. You just... There are varying degrees of open people. He just took over, like, a person in the village that was, like, a father. Right. So, like, I feel like he could do that to most everybody unless you're completely shut off like Beric, especially with how strongly skilled he is now. That's fair. Compared to when he was in the tower doing that. Yeah, that's a good point, I guess. He literally has physical skill on his arms. Like, right. he but, is full of power at the moment. Yeah, but I also feel like, what was he waiting for then? <laughs> like, why did... Well, you don't want to step in and, like, give your hand up because, like, what if all of a sudden... Like one of the them turns on each in. other, you know, like, yeah, I suppose. I don't know. It just feels like maybe he should have stepped in. <laughs> they had it handled. They got that's it. true. That's true. I don't want to take away from Molly, but it does feel like there is a baby in the mix. So maybe just be overly careful. <laughs> Fitz tells the fool that he will uh, tell him tomorrow and Night Eyes comes over to lay beside him. He would protect your cub as his own, he pointed out quietly. That is Pack. He meant the words for comfort. I did not need them. Instead, I reached to rest a hand on his ruff. Did you see how she stood and faced them down? I demanded with pride. A most excellent bitch, Night Eyes agrees. And then he falls asleep until the watch with the fool. Fitz brings up the harp. And the fool is... Very satisfied with himself and pleased with himself with yes. his handiwork. He says, a crude big, bit of work. Ah, uh, this was but one of his early efforts, they shall say of it someday, he added with strained modesty. <laughs> <laughs> Kettle said you have no caution. No, I have not, Fitz. What do we do here? Me? What I'm told. When my watch is over, I'm off to the hills to gather broom twigs so that I can sweep the, ro the rock chips out of Verity's way. Ah, now there's lofty work for a catalyst. And what shall a prophet do, do you suppose? You might prophesy when the dragon will be finished. I fear we shall think of nothing else until it is done. The fool was shaking his head minutely. What? I demanded. I do not feel we were called here to make brooms and harps. This feels like a lull to me, my friend. The lull before the storm. I wanted to read through that part because... That is true, and right. it's something that Fitz doesn't really pay attention to, or at least it's not really mentioned in this chapter. Right. But some things do get uh, get set off at the end of this chapter. Yeah, no, it is really interesting that Fool is bringing this up, especially because to me it feels weird since Fool has waited all these years and has really given Fitz almost no guidance. And then here we are, like, days to months away from the event that he has been setting up his whole life to this point to create. And he's kind of like, mm, this is boring. Why are we here? Like, <laughs> this doesn't feel right. Which is really interesting. And it makes me wonder if the way that things are going right now is something that he hadn't seen. And so he's just kind of like, is this something I haven't seen because it's so mundane or is this something I haven't seen because we're not on the right path? And so I think it'd be really interesting to know. I also don't think he sees every single moment no. of their journey. So I feel like he thinks something else is ahead of them 
right. at this point. And since they're stopped here and not doing much, she's like, this is definitely just a waiting period before there's the next big event. Right. I don't know. He is uh, wary of that, though. They move on to discussing what happened in uh, Fitz's skill dream. And the fool asks, think you the baby will be witted or be able to skill? I had never stopped to consider it. I hope not, I said immediately, and then wondered at my own words. Which is really funny because his daughter becomes one of the... The skill master. Yeah. skill mistress. One of the more skill proficient people. <laughs> She's pretty strong, I think. Yeah, she is. Even as strong. a child. It's also because Fitz constantly like skill dream, like her and Dutiful. Fitz True. like constantly connects with the skill to them. So they are aware of that ability and grow that ability while they are infants. <laughs> True. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> but yeah, they're, she does end up being very strong. So I thought it was really funny. Well, not funny, but like ironic that Fitz like, oh, I hope not. <laughs> Ketrikin also comes out of Verity's tent during that watch. And her eyes were hollow, and defeat was in the set of her mouth. She had but a half a mug of broth before setting it aside. She went back into the tent and returned with a basket fashioned into a carry sack. Firewood, she replied flatly to my raised eyebrow. That was after, after dawn came up, and Fitz and the Fool had finished their watch, and Ketcher comes out for breakfast and is still very upset and wants to be alone, or at least thinks she wants to be alone to go think and gather firewood and continue her chores to keep the fires stoked for Verity and Kettle, who have gone back to their dragon. Right. And Fitz won't let her be alone, which I think is good, um, because she's been too alone <laughs> lately. But he goes with, and Night Eyes makes a comment that maybe they should go hunting while they're out there, and Ketrigan should get her bow. And before Fitz can even say anything, Ketrigan has already gone back to grab her bow. And says, in, ca- in case we meet another pig. Yes. Which is what the Night Eyes and Fitz were talking about. So I had that highlighted as well as another connection that Ketrigan and Night Eyes are growing pretty close in thought. Yes. It was uneventful when they went hunting, or at least firewood collecting but they did stop at a stream to drink and wash and to fish Fitz taught Ketrikin how to fish with her hands and it's something that she had never seen before but she figures it out and Fitz talks about the type of fish they catch he calls it a type of trout that he's never seen before tinged pink along their bellies which means that they're salmon right Mm. Salmon have pink bellies? Some trout do too. Oh, like rainbow trout? Yeah. Mm. I'm not an expert on fish, but I think, yeah. I know you've gone fishing before, whereas <laughs> I have not. So. <laughs> Usually not uh, trout fishing, to be honest. Mm. Usually just lakes. I was just wondering if this is one of those things where it's like, it's a fish and he only knows of trout, so he's calling it a type of trout. Oh, well... I don't think so. I think. Do you, I, think I, don't I guess think I don't know salmon. enough about fish to know if like there's a, a big difference between like the look of a like trout between a different type of fish. You know what I mean? I mean, <laughs> obviously some fit. Like I've seen ocean fish pictures of those. Those look very different than like a trout or a salmon. But like they trout and salmon, like river fish, kind of all look the same to me. Besides like catfish. 
I think it's uh, more... I think rainbow trout are more like pink along the sides. Oh, okay. But I'm not sure. Let me... Uh, I think it, it's probably a, a rainbow trout or something. I trust Fitz in his identification. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe a brook trout. I don't know. That thing, I think that's more like orange, though. I don't know. Let's Who stop knows? talking about fish. Yes. <laughs> not. A, I guess not a very important detail. <laughs> and Fitz talks about how this quiet interlude had soothed his spirits. And then as they get closer to camp and see the black pillar, he he feels like there's like an ominous feeling coming from it. And I wonder if that's because it's skilled and he had such a kind of scary first experience with it, or if it's because it's like, kind of a premonition for what's to come (laughs) but either way he's not feeling great and then he is called out of his thoughts of how creepy this skill pillar is by Ketrick and asking if he's coming and he realizes that he had completely stopped walking and was being drawn towards it and it freaks him out a little bit more (laughs) and he goes back to camp but before they get to camp they walk by Girl on Dragon and Fitz asks who the he asks aloud to the statue, I suppose, who are you and why were you carved so sad? Ketrickin says, well, maybe they just couldn't finish the dragon. The feet aren't done and maybe that's why it's that she's so sad. And Fitz says, well, no, because they would have had to have carved it sad from the beginning because this part is done. So why would they have started it sad? And so this is like one of the things that Fitz is fundamentally not understanding that the stone is living. And Ketrickin looks at him in amusement. You still don't believe that Verity's dragon will fly when it is finished? I do. Of course, I have very little else to believe in anymore. Very little. I had been going to tell her I thought it was a minstrel's tale for a child, but her final words shut my mouth. So yeah, like you said, it's just something that Fitz doesn't truly believe in. Right. And it is really weird that he doesn't because he can literally feel the wit sense coming from them. He knows they are alive in some capacity and yet he still can't believe that. I mean, it it would be weird even with like being able to sense the life be like, okay, yeah, sure. The statue's going to come to life. Come on. This isn't gargoyles. (laughs) Well, yeah, but like magic is real in this world. So why wouldn't you just be like, I guess it's possible. I don't know. (laughs) It just seems so weird that he's so adamant. And I am frustrated because Verity and Kettle don't just tell him straight up like, no, it will come alive because we're dying. Like we are going into it. And I wish they would explain it to him so he could understand better, but he doesn't. So there is still confusion as to how it works. But at least he's not putting down Ketrickin's belief that she's holding on to. So there's that. And they get to the dragon that Verity and Kettle or Kestrel are working on. And he starts sweeping away. And he says that for a time, he forgot everything besides a simple chore. And he's getting lost in the chore. The monotony is nice, (laughs) which seems to happen to Fitz when he gets into like a 
menial task, it like really helps him focus and I guess, I don't know, just feel back to normal. I'm sure it's something to do with the fact that he was raised in the barns. And as he's doing this, he kind of thinks about the dragon that Verity is making. And observes as much to Verity himself that the black stone of the dragon's back was so shiny it almost reflected the blue of the sky. Wasn't really expecting an answer because he is lost in just kind of doing his task, as you said, Emma. But Fitz, or excuse me, Verity, does respond. A few moments later, he rocks back on his heels from his crouch beside the dragon's foot. He stood and ran a silver hand tentatively over the dragon's back. I caught my breath, for in the wake of his hand there was suddenly color. A rich turquoise with every scale edged fine with every scale edged in silver, followed the sweep of Verity's finger. But it doesn't stick around. Yep, it fades after just an instant. And Verity is uh, pretty satisfied with that. It says, when the dragon is full, the color will stay. Without thinking, I reached a hand toward the dragon, but Verity abruptly shouldered me aside. Don't touch him, he warned me, almost jealously. He must have seen the shotgun in my face, for he looked rueful. It's not safe for you to touch him anymore, Fitz. He is too... His voice trailed off and his eyes went afar in search of a word. Then he apparently forgot all about me, for he crouched back to his work on the creature's foot. There is nothing like being treated like a child to provoke one to act that way. I finished the last of my sweeping, set my broom aside, and wandered off. And he finds himself by girl and a dragon once again. Right. So... The dragon really is coming along and it is really close to being done. It's really interesting to think about the fact that once it gets to a certain point, it is easier for people to lose parts of themselves into the stone. I think this is about where like Girl on a Dragon was. Yeah. And I wonder, it does make me wonder though, because I don't think that the Red Ship Raiders, their dragon that they're trying to create is being carved first, right? I mean, I guess I don't really know. I just know that they have the blocks that they're like forcing people to forge, be forged on. So it's carved as well. I just don't remember like in what order, you know, it just, I don't know. I think it is really interesting because that makes me think that no matter what stage it's at, it would be pretty dangerous to touch this rock. And the like Verity's ominous warning of like it's especially dangerous right now makes me really wonder what happens to like make it more dangerous because if just touching the stone can make you forged like <laughs> I don't know it it's really interesting yeah kind of draws in the emotions that you're feeling or thoughts that you're thinking up right away so that's probably the danger of it more so once you're touching it but like for somebody who can have skill walls early on, if it's not like fully alive yet or has much life in it, it's not going to pull you strongly. You could probably still put stuff into it. Right. But there's not a danger of accidentally just losing your whole self. That's fair. I don't know. But he gets to go on a dragon and he is thinking again about the entrapped misery of there of uh of that life force and he feels that swirling light wit life he describes it as reaching towards him hungrily he says there's nothing i can do for you i told her sadly and almost felt that she responded to my words 
It was too saddening to remain close to her for long, but as I clambered down, I noticed that which alarmed me. Around one of the dragon's hind feet, someone had been chiseling at the miring stone. I stooped down for a closer inspection. The chips and dust had been cleared from the cut, but the edges of it were new and sharp. The fool, I told myself, was truly without caution. I stood with the intention of seeking him out immediately. But at that moment, Verity calls him with the skill and says, Fitz Chivalry, return to me at once, please. And Fitz is not happy. Yeah, probably, <laughs> probably more stones to sweep, he says. Right. This is a big chapter of Fitz being mopey and... Acting like, like a, a child. child. Yeah. <laughs> the adults aren't giving him any tasks anymore and everything's too, like, too important to leave to him to do. And I don't know. I, it would be frustrating to be Fitz. He says he indulges himself on the walk back of forbidden thoughts of Molly saying, you know, how badly was Birik hurt? I wondered if they had found a place for shelter. How would they survive? Had Regal's men attacked them again? Had they dragged her and the baby off to Tradeford? Did Birik lie dead somewhere in the dirt? And Verdi is still attached to Fitz and says, Do you truly believe that could happen and you not know of it? Besides, she seemed more than capable of caring for herself and the child, and Birik for that matter. Stop thinking of them and stop indulging in self-pity. I have a task for you. So Verity's all like, snap out of it, Fitz. Yeah. <laughs> I'm messed up right now, and I'm more of an adult than you. Snap out of it. I got a job. Yeah. Well, to be fair, Verity <laughs> is literally more of an adult because he's like True. late 30s here. It is really interesting because I don't really think anybody ever tells Fitz to stop moping. I No, that's not fair. Burek has and Chade has. Oh, yeah. But the way that Burek and Chade do it is much more like... I know you're sad, boy, but you got to like chin up and get to work. And Verity's like, all right, enough of the pity party. Like, Verity feels... does that, too. I guess or he, he did does. that as well. Yeah. More it... more like you have to do all of the mucking out of the barn and cleaning yeah. up the horses. Go do it now. Kind of thing. Right. I think Verity's the most direct about it. And it is really nice to see the relationship between them again. And I really feel like Verity is one of the only people who like can be so candid with Fitz. <laughs> I don't know. It's good for him to have that presence in his life to be like, Hey, stop feeling bad for yourself. So get back to camp. Fitz picks up the broom for a while and sweeps until Verity takes notice of him. And then Verity stops, goes down to the fire, grabs some food and they set aside, sit aside and, Verity explains he has a task for him. It says, Fitz, you visited the place of the dragons on your way here. You told me that you and the wolf sensed life in them. Wit life, you called it. And that one, Realder's dragon, seemed almost to awaken when you called him by name. I get the same sense of life from the girl and the dragon in the quarry, I agreed with him. Verity shook his head sadly. Poor thing, nothing can be done for her, I fear. She persisted in trying to keep her human shape, and thus she held back from filling her dragon. There she is, and likely to remain for all time. I have taken to heart her warning. At least her error has done that much good. When I fill the dragon, I shall hold nothing back. It would be a poor ending, would it not, to have come so far and sacrificed so much, to end only with a mired dragon? That mistake, at least, I shall not make. Fitz keeps silent and says he had lost me again. Which, again, it, it's right there in front of him. Fitz right. just isn't... He doesn't believe that the stone can come to life, so he can't make the logical jumps that 
everything else would happen that Verity and Kettle have been saying to him. Right. There is definitely that willful ignorance thing going on right now. And again, here we have uh, the dragon in the stone garden being called Realder's Dragon. Again, this is something that I believe is incorrect on Verity's part because he got it from Fitz and the Fool's story that it reacted to Realder's name, you know? Right. And that's why it was surging to life. I, I personally think that there's just too much evidence that Girl in a Dragon is Realder's dragon. I don't know, though, because when the Fool is living through his past life, the other white prophet is all excited about his dragon. And why would it be? Why would Realder be a he if Girl on Dragon? Realder was not the leader of the coterie. Salt was. Oh, right. And Salt is keeping herself apart from like the dragon shape and wanted the human shape. I see. I see. Yeah, so I I think that it's still operating on a mistaken thing because Fitz does go to the Stone Dragon and try to wake Realder's dragon again and calls out Realder and everything, and none of that surging of life happens again. Right. So I think it was just kind of coincidence back then. <laughs> I suppose. Anyways, Verity is taking Girl on a Dragon's warning to heart. And again, we immediately after saying like, oh, and this was Realder's Dragon, go, that almost woke up for you. Uh, he's, he claims that nothing can be done for Girl on a Dragon, he fears. Which again, proves that Verity as well is operating off of only what he knows and not the actual truth. Right. Because there are things that can be done for Girl on a Dragon and the fool does them. Right. Honestly, I almost feel bad because Verity could have solved the whole problem way quicker if he would have finished Girl on Dragon instead of creating his own dragon. I suppose I don't know if it would have... Maybe it wouldn't have worked out as easily because... They wouldn't have had anybody to, like, lead them, I yeah. guess. But still. But it would have been done. Yeah. And even if they just had the one, you would think it would be able to help. help. in some way. I don't... Yeah, like... <laughs> But I guess where's the fun in that? So Verity's task is to return to those dragons and try with his wit and skill to awaken them in any way possible. I feared they had slumbered too long and starved themselves to death, feeding only on their own dreams until nothing was left. And Fitz asks, you want me to use the wit and skill to wake the dragon statues? How? Verity shrugs, I don't know. Despite all Kestrel has told me, there are still great gaps in my knowledge of the skill. When Galen stole Solicity's books and ceased all training for chivalry in me, it was a masterstroke against us. I still keep coming back to that. Did he even then plot to secure the throne for his half-brother, or was he merely greedy for power? We will never know. I spoke then of a thing I had never before voiced. There is something I do not understand. Kettle says that your killing Carid with the skill left you injured yourself, yet you drained Galen and seemed to suffer nothing from it, nor did Serene and Justin seem to take ill from draining the king. This is a conver- I highlighted all of this because this is the conversation we had last episode, actually. Yeah. Did we do that on the pod or was that off? I feel like we did it on the podcast. I don't know. Either way, I'll, I'll rehash <laughs> it again. Yeah. Emma was curious about the same question, actually, of why one killing 
matters. was different yeah, than the other. Yeah, one matters and the other doesn't. Yes. And Verity's explanation is draining off another's skill is not the same as killing one with a blast of skill. He gave a brief snort of bitter laughter. Having done both, I well know the difference. In the end, Galen chose to die rather than surrender all his power to me. I suspect that my father made the same choice. I also suspect that he did so to keep them from the knowledge of where I was. What secrets Galen died protecting, we now have an inkling. This is a really interesting concept because this means that if you sucked somebody's power out of them and they didn't refuse to die from it, then you do kill them with the skill, right? Maybe, yeah. It's never, that's never explicitly stated. It's more so that, because I I don't think we can make that logical jump of like, if they didn't choose to die, then it would have been like killing with a blast of the skill, because he never touches on that at all. I suppose. It's just the fact that Galen chose to die to keep some of his secrets and not relinquish all of his power to Verity. I suppose. And he thinks that the king did the same thing. I guess it just feels like, I don't know. I don't like it. Number one, because it doesn't really feel like the timing was great for King Shrewd to die. Like he picked that. He was like mid saying goodbye to his son. I don't know. I just like, or whatever. I don't know. It feels like. Could have noticed that he was getting close to revealing secrets or Justin and Serene were close and digging through the last of his stuffs and if Verity is correct he was trying to withhold some information from them I suppose I don't know it feels really does that mean that you can kill yourself with the skill then like that's what they're doing is like using the skill to cut off their own life force like I don't understand how they're dying at all I'm imagining it very similar to Fitz in the skill river how we get all those descriptions of him fraying away and he can just let go when he wants and be swept away and gone And you have to maintain an effort to stay yourself in that skill. So if you are connected by that and getting drained off, I feel like you could just choose, okay, I'm gone. Like, I'm no more. You can't dig through my mind because my mind is no more. I'm just one with the skill river now and I'm gone. I guess I don't know. I also don't like that because people find fits whenever he lets go all the time. So then by that logic, they could see them do that and be like, nope. You have to know the person, though. You have to surround, like what Fitz does with the fool, you have to surround Mm -hmm. everything you know about them and like keep them safe. And (laughs) Mm -hmm. it feels like something that you can't just forcibly do to somebody that you're trying to kill, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Okay, fair enough, I guess. Or at least Justin and Serene wouldn't have been powerful enough or knowledgeable enough to do that. I guess. I. You do have really good ideas, is solidifying it i suppose but still don't like it i don't like it i think it's dumb that's fine (laughs) it's a dumb like well it doesn't really count it does count you i don't know somebody died at the end of the day i feel like if one counts the other counts (laughs) but it's not my book not my rules again we get verity's misconception of the elderlings because he says to fitz now your primary goal is to wake the elderlings while i chip and scrape and labor six duchies folk die or are forged not to mention that Regal's troops harry and burn the mountain villages along the border. My own queen's father rides to battle to protect his folk from my brother's armies. How that wrinkles within me. Could you rouse the dragons to their to defense? 
they could take flight now. And Fitz is like, well, I, I'm reluctant to undertake that task when I don't know what it entails or demands. And Verity stops him with a grin and basically says, it seems to me that just yesterday that was what you were begging to do, Fitz Chivalry. <laughs> <laughs> Fitz says, Nadez and I will set out tomorrow morning. After being like, okay, he got me there. Yeah, like, like, that's okay. That was a really funny like moment because... Fitz does. He, this is just something he's not interested in doing. So he's like, eh, I don't really want to. And it's like, well, not a good enough excuse. <laughs> That's what you were begging me yesterday to do. Mm-hmm. I give you an option. <laughs> <laughs> but the mention of putting off doing this task until tomorrow morning really has Verity like, why? You can just leave now. Yeah, just go through the pillar. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't even have to bring the wolf. He, the wolf can't pass through the pillar with you. So he'll have to stay. And I would that you went now. He told me so calmly to go without my wolf. I would sooner have gone stark naked. Now, as in immediately? Why not? He says. Basically, if he goes through, he'll be there in a matter of minutes. And then he can try all he wants and then come back again in a matter of minutes. Right. And they're not going to lose anything by trying. Like, if he succeeds, Verity will obviously know immediately because there will be dragons and he'll feel it. And if he doesn't, he can just come back to the camp. It's not the end of the world. This is, again, a lack of knowledge of what these pillars are and what they can do to you. Right. So I remember in the Tawny Man trilogy, or maybe it's the final trilogy, they're talking about the use of the skill pillars and how I think it's Trini or something like that is a lot of the excerpts or the epigraphs at the beginning of those chapters with some of the basic, like, skill training. And it's like, yeah, you go through and then you have to wait at least, like, seven days before you try again because, like, it'll wear you down. Yeah, this isn't, like, a quick travel thing you should do all the time. Yeah, it's a, you know, at the gravest expense like they're very convenient yes but like only use they it if shorten you have your to. life and like yeah. Yeah, and also like only masters should go through i think is a big thing that like yep you need to be really trained because there's the danger that when you go in you don't come out yep or you come out be- at a different time or yeah yeah so yeah it's a little <laughs> a little rough it does make me wonder because there are all these stories about I think it's at the very beginning of this series. I'm not 100% sure if it was the first book or the second, but they talk a little bit about the witness stone in Buck and how there are stories of couples who run there and disappear Mm -hmm. and some come back years later. The Pexies get them. Yes. And so I think it's really interesting that like potentially those people were just skilled and didn't know it. And we're lost. (laughs) Yeah. And then have to suffer through that. That's just like so interesting to think about. And it kind of does make me wonder why these pillars were built if they are so dangerous. Convenient. (laughs) Who cares about the people who will definitely die using it if it works for us? Well, that's why they had such such stringent rules around them. I suppose. But why wouldn't you, you know, have those built up around kingdoms so you can have easy communication and not have to wait a month before like you get a response <laughs> to a letter, you know? True, true. You just well, you just have to wait a week because then the person has to rest <laughs> before taking the sure, message back. But that specific person can be trained to like this person's negotiating because they are a master with our <laughs> magic. So true, obviously true. they're important. You go and talk. 
<laughs> yeah, it is just really interesting how things worked. Mm-hmm. But also, elderlings weren't skilled, right? No. So how did they use the pillars? Remember they had those like special gloves or whatever that had like... I wonder if that made it less dangerous then. Possibly. Because it's not like their actual mind doing the magic. It's yeah. external. But didn't uh, the skilled ones in the, the skilled pillars... The, sk- the skill scrolls about the skill pillars, didn't they discuss how to make them? So I don't know if it was just the elderlings. The elderlings like must have created some of them, but I feel like some of them were created by skilled ones. That's fair. But I mean, there's like skill pillars in Kelsingra. And I don't right. think... That's why I say like yeah. elderlings had started to create it. some of yeah. them. I don't know. The whole thing is weird. I don't know. I guess it doesn't really matter. It just like makes me wonder. (laughs) And Verity's basically saying here that, yeah, there's no time to waste. Like you might as well just go now. I'll tell everybody else. And Fitz is like, okay, I'll go, but I'm not sure how to use the pillar. And Verity describes it's not much more complicated than a door. You just place your hand on the, the symbol that you want to go to and it'll draw skill from you and you'll go through. Also, Fitz asks if he's not worried about the Coterie anymore. Right. And Verity's response is that they're no more of a danger to you there than they are here. So, <laughs> suck it up. Skill is in no dis- distance. Just go. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so he draws the symbol of the stone dragon garden and the symbol of the quarry and says, like, hey, use this one to go there. Use this one to come back. And Fitz says, I shall be back this evening. Good. Luck ride with you, he told me. And that was it. I rose and left the fire behind me, walking toward the pillar. I passed girl and a dragon and tried not to be distracted by her. Somewhere off in the woods, the others were gathering firewood while night eyes ranged all around them. Are you really going without me? I shall not be gone long, my brother. Shall I come back and wait for you by the pillar? No, watch over the queen for me if you would. With pleasure. She shot a bird for me today. I sensed his admiration and sincerity. What finer thing than a bitch who kills efficiently? A bitch who shares well. See that you save some for me as well. You can have the fish, he assured me magnanimously. (laughs) (laughs) And he gets to the pillar and steps through it into bright sunshine. From bright sunshine to cool dappling shade. Yes, and he is nervous. This is scary. Which, much scarier than he knows, but (laughs) as we've discussed. Right. But he does it. He walks right through. I think this is, like, one of the more impressive things about Fitz is, like, the luck on his side. Because he does go right through and is fine. And this is the third time he's used them. So clearly it works for him. Right, yeah. He's trained enough and, and definitely strong enough to use them safely. Yes. Yeah, but he goes and things look way different now. The spring has obviously come and had things grow more. The grass is way deeper. The what were once buds blooming are now fully in bloom. Mm-hmm. Everything is full of moisture and life. And yeah. he's very surprised and happy because <laughs> the quarry is devoid of all of that. Yes, it's very swampy. It seems it's very wet. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's more swampy or just like, 
covered in dew and since it's like knee-high grasses he's just getting soaked as he's walking yeah (laughs) it's as a person who hates bugs the idea of this grosses me out like just imagine the amount of bugs that are in an untouched by human area with huge long grass there's probably snakes in that grass Mm-mm. yeah but you could sense them so you would be able you wouldn't be surprised by any of them i guess i don't know Ugh, gross <laughs> i'll stick to my man-made paths right <laughs> He cautiously lowers his skill walls and had no sense of skill in use, so he relaxes a bit. And he walks through the garden. He gets there and looks for the dragons, and he he finds them. He says, where were the dragons? They had not moved, though the greenery grew taller around them than it had been. I spotted a lightning-blasted stump I remembered, and from there found Realder's dragon, again, what they think is Realder's dragon, I had already decided he might be the most promising one to start with, for I had definitely felt a strong wit life in him. As if it could make some difference, I took a few minutes to clear him of vines and wet clean grass. As I did so, one thing struck me. The way the sleeping creature was sprawled on, upon the earth followed the contour of the ground beneath him. It did not look like a statue carved and then set in place here. It looked like a living creature that had flung itself down to rest and never moved again. I tried to force belief on myself. These were the very elderlings that rose to King Wisdom's call. They flew like great birds to the coast, and there they defeated the raiders and drove them from our shores. From the skies they fell on the ships, driving the crews mad with terror, or oversetting the ships with a great wind from their wings. And they would again, could we but wake them. I shall try, I said aloud, and then repeated, I shall wake them, and sought to have no doubt in my voice. I think it's really interesting that he mentions that in the legends, the crews were driven mad with fear because we know that when the skill dragons fly over people, they're taking the memory of what happened. Or at least that emotion. Yeah. Yeah. Like they even from the sky can take from large swaths of people. And so I'm wondering if the people didn't go mad, they just turned forged. Yeah, I mean, especially with such I think so. the amount of time they would be in the proximity of. We, we know this is part of Kebel Robred's reason for wanting revenge is that his people were destroyed, like yeah. <laughs> with the like their minds were taken from them from the stone dragons. But yeah, it's really interesting because there's like hints of that here, unknowingly. <laughs> Although I guess if, like, I had never seen a dragon before and all of a sudden a dragon came uh, to attack me, I'd probably freak out. Could be driven out. by fear, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I could see, like, going mad with that. So, I don't know. And so Fitz tries. He tries with the wit, he tries with the skill, he tries a bunch of different things. And he's trying to visualize and send images of different things to them, trying to coerce them, trying to lure them or this particular dragon with pools of cool water, uh, silvery fish for devouring, a bunch of different things. Even just calling the name that he thinks of it out loud, Realder. And nothing changes at all with wit sense, or he doesn't sense anything with the skill either. He wanders around and tries tries different stone dragons as well. 
He's looking for stronger flickers of wit life, and once he thought he had found one, but a closer check showed that a field mouse had made its home under the dragon's chest. And eventually he gets to a uh, dragon antlered like a buck, and tried again every tactic I had tried on Realder's Dragon with as little result. This is the one I think is Wisdom's. Daylight was waning after he tries that, and still no response, and he wonders if Verity had truly expected any sort of success. Doggedly, he's moving from dragon to dragon on his way back to the pillar, giving each one a last effort. It was probably what saved me. I strained from one, thinking I felt a strong witlife coming from the next one, but when I got to him, the hulking, winged boar with his curving razor tusks I perceived the wit was coming from beyond him. I lifted my eyes and peered through the trees, rather expecting to see a deer or wild pig. Instead, I saw a man with a drawn sword standing with his back to me. Instantly, Fitz is on his guard and kind of terrified, his heart hammering, and he kind of folds up and hides behind this boar. He looks at the person or the description that he sees of him isn't somebody that he recognizes it wasn't burl or will but somebody else but definitely regals because he was dressed in the golden brown in a moment all became clear to me how could how stupid could i have been i had destroyed will and burl's men horses and supplies what else would they do but skill to regal that they needed more with a constant skirmishing along the mountain borders, it would be no trick for another raiding party to slip through, bypass Champay, and travel up the Skill Road. The slide area we had crossed was a formidable barrier, but not an insurmountable one. Risking his men's lives was something Regal was proficient at. I wondered how many had attempted the crossing and how many had survived. I was sure now that Will and Burl were once more comfortably provisioned. Then a more chilling thought struck me. He might be skilled. There was nothing to stop Will from training others. I highlighted that last sentence as well, because we know he was training others. This, these particular yeah. people are not skilled in any way, but there are other coteries. Yeah, Will is has been doing this for what seems like a while now. Fitz points out that he has the scrolls and that skill potential isn't super common but it's not rare either that it so it wouldn't be hard to find more people to train and i don't know it's really interesting i think especially coming from galen who was so stingy about wanting to share the skill with others it really makes me wonder why regal doesn't share the same idea that he shouldn't want to train up more people that have this power I mean, I feel like Regal did okay it because Will is in Regal's pocket. So they are all Regal's coteries. Well, right. But like Galen had such reservation. Like, I don't think Galen was faking not wanting to t- like thinking right. that people were below yeah. the skill that they were given. So it, it's just weird that Ver- Regal doesn't share Galen's ideals. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought you had worded it the other way around, that you were surprised that Regal wouldn't want more people trained. No, I was... Yeah. Yeah. So I I think it's because while Regal listened to his older half-brother, 
he hated being like directed by him. <laughs> Fair. And also knows how much power this coterie can give, but has realized that they're dying slowly and he needs more power. He needs more people. That's fair. Also, he's like willing to sacrifice their lives. So you got to have something to come up behind it, I suppose. That makes sense. It's just an opportunity for more weapons and tools at his disposal. In that way, I feel like Galen was more power hungry than Regal. Not that Regal isn't power hungry. I think he is. But I feel like Galen is someone who wasn't just given power. He had to, like, fight for every inch of it. And he tried really hard to close doors behind him so others couldn't get it. Right. And Regal just assumes that he it's he's owed the only, to him. Yeah, and yeah. he's the only one who can get it anyways. So yeah, so what's the point of... do everything? Yeah, I don't know. So I think it's really interesting to see those differences between them, even though they both were raised by the same woman who was mm-hmm. very, like... I don't know. <laughs> and Fitz here, while he's hiding behind this boar, thinking about all of this, and possibly these are skilled, finally realizes that this isn't a personal vendetta between Regal and him. This is literally a king with a king's resources against a lone like person, and all of the resources that Regal can have, like an army, the powers, exterminate those that he branded traitors, like with any means possible. Right. And there's nothing to stop him. There's no embarrassment of potentially Verity being found and him being revealed as a traitor because they're not anywhere near the duchies. Mm -hmm. So they can just kill him. And then if he wants, he can kill the people that killed Verity so that they can't spread rumors about Verity having been alive. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's much bigger than Fitz had been thinking of it as. And going through all of those thoughts, he decides that, well, he has a goal. He still has to get his task done, and he has to get to the pillar and back to the quarry to warn Verity, if it were not already too late. So he feels himself calm with a goal in mind. I considered skilling to Verity and quickly rejected the idea. Until I knew my enemy better, I would not risk exposing myself to him. I found myself seeing it as if it were Kettle's game, stones to capture or destroy. The man was between me and the pillar. That was to be expected. What I now had to discover was if there were others as well. I drew my own belt knife. A sword was no weapon to use in in this dense brush. I took a deep, steadying breath and slipped away from the boar. And he scouts around and discovers that there are three men. Right. And I think it's really important to show the growth that Fitz has had here. He is terrified of what happened to him in the dungeons. The skill, the like PTSD from the skill torture is real and has been haunting him since he's gotten out. And I think this is the first moment where first we see the spiral. We see him getting really scared of like, oh, my gosh, what if all the people here are skilled and they're going to attack me? And then he calms himself down and focuses on what he can control. And I think that's really big because he did it by himself. Like before, he's always needed someone else to kind of calm him. And here he is alone and he's able to do it. And I think it's really impressive and really great that he's like healing in some way. Right. (laughs) Even if it's not like getting back a little bit to how he was before. Yes. He's like gaining more confidence and 
I don't know. I just like that at least he's not suffering as much as before. <laughs> Although it's fits, so of course he's going to suffer forever. But right, I don't know. The little ease up on some of it is nice. During his scouting, he determines that the three men that are guarding the pillar have come from the skill road, so they must not be skilled. They are here just to prevent anyone passing through it unseen. And so he decides that they're probably very able soldiers, but definitely nothing to fear from them skill-wise. He also decides that uh, Will and Burl might be very close by, at least he has to assume that, able to come through the pillar at a moment's notice. And for that reason, he keeps his skill walls high and tight. So he waits. He waits and waits and his darkness fell. He is getting a plan here. Insects are coming out and biting him, and he smells the guards cooking on fires. And night in a fire and food usually meant talk, so he's trying to listen in. But they don't speak very much, and he doesn't get much information from them. He also makes the mention that he knows that by staying here, Verity will be alerted that something's wrong. But he doesn't think... Verity is going to help him in this. He thinks this is his yeah. own thing that he has to get out of by himself because he can't imagine Verity leaving the dragon long enough to come help. And so that is why he's determined to do it himself to get out of this. Yeah. So they didn't speak of much around that fire. However, he did learn that they didn't care for the duty and that the long black road had driven some men mad. But tonight, it was not the long way they had come, but the stone dragons themselves that bothered them. I also heard enough to confirm what I had guessed. There were three men guarding this pillar. There were a full dozen guarding the one at the plaza where the fool had had his vision. The main body of soldiers had pushed on toward the quarry. The coterie was seeking to close off escape routes for Verity. So, he feels a little bit of a relief that... There is still time for the people in the quarry that, you know, tonight and probably tomorrow, there's not going to be people there because it took them a while to travel. Right. And they have to go by foot. They're not using the skill pillar. But still, there is an urgency for him to get out of this. So his resolution to get back through the pillar as swiftly as possible hardens. And he doesn't intend to fight them. He just needs to get through to the pillar. Right. He wants to distract them so that while they're not looking... He can sneak by, and he thinks the best way to do this is to start a little bit of a fire. Yep. So he goes around and collects some firewood, um, looking for dry law or sticks, which is hard because this place is so wet. Like, there's so much dew everywhere. And he does manage to find some things he can burn into a little fire. He wants to cast shadow on the dragons here, mm-hmm. kind of spook them a little. Yeah, he says, my plan was simple. I told myself it would either work or it wouldn't. (laughs) 50-50, you know? (laughs) Everything's 50-50. You either do or you don't. (laughs) So he finds a dragon on the opposite side of the pillar where he wants to go and starts to make a fire behind him, hoping that he would cast a fine shadow. He heard that the guards, you know, were a little spooked by the dragon, so he's trying to make them even scarier, and so they have to, you know, get up and investigate. He gets the fire going, and then slips away from it in the darkness. 
He's working his way close to the pillar as, as close as he can, and he only needs to wait until the guards notice the fire. He hoped at least one man would go to investigate and the other two would watch where he had gone. Then a noiseless dash, a slap to the pillar, and he'd be gone. Save that the guards did not notice my fire. From my vantage, it seemed glaringly obvious. There was rising smoke and a rosy glow through the trees, partially outlining the dragon's silhouette. I'd hoped that would pique their interest. Instead, it was blocking my fire too well. I decided a few well-placed rocks would draw their attention to my fire. My groping hands found only lush plant life growing in thick loam. After an interminable wait, I realized my fire was going out, and the guards had noticed it not at all. Once more I slipped out of earshot, once more I gathered dry sticks in the dark, then my nose as much as my eyes guided me back to my smoldering fire. And this is where Night Eyes kind of chimes into his head, faintly because of the distance, but asking, you are long gone, is all well. He says, I am hunted, be still, I shall come as soon as I can. He pushes the wolf gently from his thoughts and stole through the dark towards the dwindling fire, trying to refuel it and waiting it for it to spark up again. Fitz was just moving away from the rekindled fire when the, the men notice him. Unfortunately, they lift up a, they notice some movement or something as he was starting the fire and move towards him and lift up a torch and see the, his shadow instead of the dragons. Right. And so they know it's a man and Fitz has to improvise a bit and run away from somebody who is swinging a sword at him <laughs> immediately. Right. He does find that he has an advantage though, because the people just got here today, um, not that long ago. And so they don't know the area like he does. And he's spent all day looking around. Yes. And he's been here before for a day and a half. So, and he also has a, p a perfect memory <laughs> because of his training. So he knows where to go and what to do. And these men don't. So he's pretty confident he can get away. Fitz is scrabbling away from one of these guards and his pursuer leaps forward, swinging a mighty blow that surely would have cloven him in two if he had not caught his leg on one curving razor tusk. The guard trips and falls squarely, impaling himself on the second tusk, where it thrust up like a scimitar from the boar's red maw. The sound of the man made was not a large one. I saw him begin to struggle to rise, but the curve of the tusk was hooked inside him. I leaped to my feet, mindful of the second man who had been pursuing me, and fled into the dark. Behind me rose a long cry of pain. He tries to keep his wits about him, circles around, trying to reach the pillar, and he feels a questing twist of skill. And he it distracts him long enough, kind of, to uh, think about... Was Verity himself under attack? You know, is this the coterie reaching for him? What's going on? Right. And there's one man still who guards the pillar. But with that questing twist of skill, he decides to risk that fight to get to the pillar, to get to his king faster, because he doesn't know what might be happening at the quarry. Right. And as he goes, another tendril of skill brushes past him, and he realizes it's Verity because Verity steps through the pillar with his notched gray sword clutched in his gleaming silver grip. He emerged behind the guard who had remained on post. My foolish cry had turned him toward the pillar, and he came at my king, sword lifted, 
even as his face betrayed his terror. Verity in their firelight looked like a demon out of a tail. His face was splashed with silver from the careless touching of his hands, while his hands and arms gleamed as if made of polished silver. His gaunt face and ragged clothes, the utter blackness of his eyes, would have terrified any man. I will have to give Regal's guard this. He stood his post and caught the king's first blow that turned it, or so he thought. It was an old trick of Verity's. Instead, his blade wrapped the other. His cut should have severed the hand from the arm, but the dulled blade stopped the bone. Nonetheless, the man dropped his sword. As the man fell to his knees, clutched at his gouting wound, Verity's sword swept in again across his throat. I felt a second tremoring of skill. The lone remaining guard came racing toward us from the trees. His eyes fixed on Verity, and he cried out in terror. He halted where he stood. Verity took a step toward him. "'My king, enough! Let us leave!' I cried out. I did not want him to risk himself for me again. Instead, Verity glanced down at his sword. He frowned. Suddenly, he grasped the blade in his left hand just below the hilt and drew it through his shining grip. I gasped at what I saw. The sword he brandished now gleamed and came to a perfect point. Even by torchlight, I could see the wavering ripples of the many-folded blade of the the metal of the blade. The king glanced at me. I should have known I could do that. He almost smiled. Then Verity lifted it to the other man's eyes. When you are ready, he said quietly. What happened next stunned me. Click to find out. (laughs) I do want to say, what made Verity decide to try to make his sword not dull anymore do you think he just hadn't thought about the fact of how dull it got until he tried to chop somebody's hand off and it didn't come off yeah i think uh, honestly i think he's been so long without a fight using his sword is just a tool that when he was recalled to it because he didn't have to recall it ever right again because it was probably put away he's like oh yeah this is supposed to be sharp and i can definitely recall the sword to its own memory of being sharp let's <laughs> let's do it also Pretty cool that that's one of his special powers. Right. <laughs> do you think he would have been able to do that without his hand silvered? I don't think so, no. Okay. Just curious. I think that's a, that's a part of like the actual manifestation of the physical magic. You know, mm. we talk about skill being like memory based. And I think it's literally just recalling what the sword is Was. supposed to be yeah. like. You know? Interesting. But yeah, so... This fight happens. Uh, Verity is still amazing with the sword. He's even doing his usual tricks. (laughs) And this whole commotion has left the other guard recognizing Verity. Yes. Falls to his knees, casting his sword into the grass before him. My king, I know you even if you do not know me. Buck Axbent spoke plainly in his tumbling words. My lord, we were told you were dead. Dead because your queen and the bastard had conspired against you. Those were who we were told might be found here. It was half for that revenge that I came. I served you well at Buck, my lord, and if you live, I will serve my king again. Verity peered at him and does recognize him. You're Tig, aren't you? Reaver's boy. And he corrects him, it's Tag, my lord. But yeah, Verity does recognize him. Right. And I do wonder if all of the people sent on this task are buck men or people or men and women who were more loyal to Verity 
because I feel like you would have to kill the people who kill Verity, right? Well, Fitz does make that observation earlier, even. He says, like, when he's talking about how remote it is and how he's scared now because he realizes Regal doesn't have to hold back, he's like, oh, and then the Coterie can just finish off all the soldiers. Right. I don't think it's all buck loyal people but i think they they riled up specific parts of buck soldiers are like this is for revenge to try to get those people to go to get rid of them right so i don't think it's all buck soldiers or former soldiers but i think a chunk of them are for sure because i feel like regal is someone who would like have the wherewithal to know Like, well, here's a really good excuse to get rid of a bunch of people I don't like and have a grudge against because he obviously feels like death is okay as long as he's the one doling it out. Mm -hmm. Well, Verity does recognize him and the soldier corrects his name and says, serving my king as my father did before me. His dark eyes never left the point of the sword Verity had leveled at him. And Verity asks, do you speak the truth, lad, or simply seek to save your skin? And Fitz remarks that The words that the soldier next speaks is probably the only thing that could have saved him Mm -hmm. because he says, I have no need to fear. The prince I served would not strike down a kneeling, unarmed man. I dare say the king will not either. Verity smiles and says, go then, Tag. Go as swift as you may and as silent as you may. For those who have used you will kill you if they know you are true to me. Return to Buck. And on the way there, and when you get there, tell everyone that I shall be returning, that I shall bring my good and true queen with me to sit the throne, and that my heir will claim it after me. And when you get to Buckkeep Castle, present yourself to my brother's wife. Tell the Lady Patience that I have commended you to her service. Yes, my king. King Verity? What is it? More troops are coming. We are but the vanguard. He paused. He swallowed. I accuse no one of treachery, least of all your own brother, but let it not concern you, Tag. What I have asked you to do is important to me. Go quickly and challenge no one on your way, but carry back those tidings as I have asked you. Yes, my king. Now, Verity suggested. And Tag rose, took up his sword and sheathed it, and strode off into the darkness. Verity turned and his eyes shone with triumph. We can do it, he told me quietly. Gestures fiercely toward the pillar. They reach up and tumble through onto the other side. I do want to point out that one, uh, it says Verity suggested that he goes now, and he does. So I think it's a skill command. A skill command. And two, Tag does show up later, and his son, I believe, shows up later as well. And Tag's son is the bard that sings that Fitzchivalry wasn't, you know, a traitor or whatever yes. in, uh, I think it's Tawny Man. The final Or is it the final, tri- tri- it's the final trilogy? It's the final trilogy. Okay. Because that's whenever they, like, reintroduce Fitz and right. people are like, he's a traitor, yeah. which, come on. <laughs> okay, whatever. <laughs> well, that's been a thing for, what, 40 years? So, like, like you're going to believe that he was I a guess, I guess they don't ever really, like, out Regal as being a horrible person. Right. He kind of gets to be free from that. So, yeah. Okay, okay, never mind. I forgot that the general public doesn't know everything. <laughs> yeah, that is, it's a big plot point that this minor, you know, two-page character comes back later as being talked about. Yeah, my father always claimed that Fitz Chivalry was true to his king, that King Verity, you know told us to bring these tidings back and everything like that. And 
that's his son who created a song and Starling critiques it, I think, later on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which very true to her Very character. Starling, yes. <laughs> Even though she's described as like a middling bard who wouldn't have been famous except that she went on this trip. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, <is> funny. <laughs> but it is. I mean, I think it's really good that somebody saw Fitz. <laughs> right. Yeah. Not just this group claiming, but also that they're able to he's able to go and get the word out that mm-hmm. Verity is alive and he's back. And it does make me question like. Clearly, this guy has seen Verity alive for two seconds and is like, hmm, maybe Regal isn't the good guy. And nobody else seems to have that thought ever again. We never get to hear another person question if Regal like this is one guy coming back and saying, hey, I saw Verity. True, I guess. He'll go back to Buck and commend himself to Lady Patience, and Lady Patience will, like, know that for truth, sure. Right. But everybody else he talks to be like, okay, one random soldier who was Verity's soldier before is saying that he was alive and he's the only one who came back. Like, <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. That's sure. <laughs> and I guess, I don't know. It, it just is frustrating, but like, clearly Regal is not that great and it doesn't really feel like he ever faces consequences. But I also think that this is important because it sets up explanation for later as to why Verity doesn't come back because obviously at the end of this Verity won't be Verity anymore. Verity's mm-hmm. going to be the dragon and to to explain it away they tell the people that Verity was riding on the dragon yeah. and that he part of the payment of doing this is that he had to live with the elderlings forever. The same thing that wisdom. Yes, which basically the stories were. Is actually a pretty good explanation cuz that is kind of true. Like <laughs> they do have to live forever with the other <laughs> stone dragons. But yeah, I think it's good to have somebody who saw him alive at one point so you can't just be like Oh, somebody else like Regal got the dragons or something. Right. There's another account of him being there. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for tuning in and listening along this week. It's picking up. This is our first like action chapter in a little bit. Yeah. Since I think the landslide, to be honest. Getting interesting again. It's getting a little boring there. The the soldiers are coming. Uh, We have... The fool carving at Girl and a Dragon and Fitz was not able to confront him right? because he got interrupted by Verity and sent immediately away. So the fool has had a full day now of being able to sit there and carve. And it's uh, that that progresses the story along. I don't know. It's uh, mm-hmm. it's getting dire. Things are weird. <laughs> Only five more chapters after this. Ah. Five more episodes of... Well, I shouldn't say that in case we have to do a part two, but I think the chapter <laughs> is a little bit shorter. So. Yeah, it's actually a little bit wild how much shorter the next couple of chapters are compared to like some of the other ones in the rest of the series. I think this one was the longest chapter we have left. Right. I think. There might be one other that's yeah. similar in length. But yeah, no, short chapters to go. All right. Well, if you have uh, any topics or questions you would like us to discuss or just thoughts in general or feedback to us, please let us know at isfitshappy at gmail.com or you can reach out on any of our social medias at isfitshappy. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We, uh, We really look forward to hearing from you guys and seeing what thoughts you have and 
we're excited for uh for the rest of this book thanks so much all right time to talk about some of the stuff you guys brought to our attention a couple weeks to talk about yes um i don't really know where to start so i'm just gonna i guess start at random (laughs) (laughs) yeah we can start by like episode i suppose uh episode 99 chapter 33 the quarry when they first get there and first meet verity uh we have a comment from bastion uh kind of talking about our discussion on where the remains of the dragons and elderlings went and Bastion brought up a good point that uh, the servants of Claris invited the remaining dragons and poisoned them and used their body parts for like medicine and things like that so that's where a lot of it's gone plus kind of mirroring our sentiment that technology isn't really there to dig things up at this point so there's probably bones and remains buried that people haven't really excavated yet that was just a a quick little addition to that conversation that we had yes and definitely makes sense when you think about it that way i forget that fossils have to be dug up um right they're not just sitting there (laughs) no you don't just like trip over something sticking out of the ground and it's a fossil (laughs) you actually have to like go down pretty deep to find it so that is a good Mm -hmm. um reminder thank you for that yeah it's not i mean this world isn't densely populated enough right to just kind of like stumble across things if they're building stuff you know right and i'm sure just like advancement wise there's no need to try to look to see what the people are doing in the past because they haven't been around long enough to care i guess (laughs) i mean i guess i don't know when did we Stop counting it as grave robbing and start counting it as excavation work, you know, as a society. (laughs) I heard somewhere it it changes once the previous civilization is completely gone, then it's archaeology. Ah, okay, okay. If it's still around, then you're robbing someone's grave. Okay, okay. That (laughs) That, makes sense. There's probably an actual (laughs) definition, but... As that is not either of our field of expertise, I guess we can't really say, but good to know. (laughs) <laughs> but thank you, Bastion, for pointing that out. Then we have to discuss our episode 100. Yeah. Can't believe we made it. Yeah. Thank you, everybody who uh, congratulated us. Yeah. Also, I can't believe I realized like a few days after that our 100th episode fell on Fool's Day, mm-hmm. April Fool's Day. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I can't believe I didn't play into that. But I mean, I do work on Fridays. So <laughs> I work weekdays and so I was more focused on just posting and then getting back to the projects I had at hand right. <laughs> at my regular job so, <laughs> so that is probably why I didn't think about it that day but oh I'm so sad we missed out on that opportunity <laughs> yeah so thank you everybody who posted the congratulations for that yeah we're happy to be here we did have some comments on it though on Facebook as well for the episode yes So for some of the questions for the episode, we got a really interesting one from Ellen. Ellen wants to know our opinion on when Salt's Coterie tried to quicken Relder's dragon slash girl on a dragon and wants to know if we got any clues at all or that we can think of to give us like an estimate of the time period. And I really don't think so, to be honest. It's 
the time the timeline is so is all sorts of messed up mm-hmm. in this because like Kettle was around at she's at least 250 years old. The queen that she served reigned what 230 years ago or something. Right. Or died 230 years ago. So she was exiled by that queen. So at least 250 probably. Mm-hmm. And then had been alive for who knows how long before that. So could be pushing 300. <laughs> right. Uh, and she like at that point, they didn't have all the information about what the stone dragons, like what you were doing explicitly with all that. Right. It wasn't a like it normal was a, thing for people to do. Yeah. It was a known practice. Sure. But it wasn't like celebrated by regular people. Right. So wisdom is what, like another few hundred before that years before that. Right. You know, and he also, they didn't know much about the process. I assume, I guess unless we're, it's lost the time, how much he knew. Right. But yeah, I guess I I wouldn't be able to like put a number of years back, but I feel like. But like my my point is like that's 600 years ago and they still have like tapestries of his depictions like that are not faded in like the Bucky Balls and stuff. And I don't know. It's just uh, the time is all kind of messed up. Right. And I'm just kind of taking it with a grain of salt and just going with the facts because it's a fantasy book at that point (laughs) and just being like it was far in the past. Right. No, I think that's fair. I think, I don't know, if I had to guess, it would probably be closer to the time of this, the white prophet that we um, get told about who started the mountain kingdom um, and turned them into what they are now. I don't think it's like right around that time where the same white prophet that is at the town square excited. No, but yeah, I, I feel it's definitely no. not the same one. But I feel like it'd be around that time period just because there would be civilization living near that area yeah, and able to survive. You could see that. So that's my thought on it. Also, I don't remember in the scale vision there being mention of like, or like, I guess showing any real dragons around. It's very brief. So there's no way to know if real dragons were still around at that. Right. Point. But right. I feel like, I don't know, maybe real dragons aren't around anymore. <laughs> I have no reason yeah. to believe that. I just, but I do think like the remnants of the town that they had to walk to, to get to the stone dragon, like area garden are still there, which points to the fact that it can't have been like, it wasn't even remnants of it. I think it was just like shadows where nothing was growing of like the old foundations kind of thing. Right. right? I thought it, there were like a few bricks here and there. There were some like overturned big stones, I think. Mm, I don't and know. I'm thinking, it. I guess I'm like, as far as like I remember, at least in Scotland, where like there are old castles that are like mm. not really standing very much anymore. I'm like getting that vibe. And those have been around for thousands of years. <laughs> so I don't know. I guess it a couple thousand years, maybe I, uh, for castles in Scotland. I don't want to sound like a fool because I don't know history, but I would think of just like, about like a thousand, like thirteen hundred about, you know, thirteen hundreds. I guess I don't remember when the um, Anglo-Saxons came to yeah, um, England because they're the ones who brought the building of castles. I so. haven't been in a history class since <laughs> 10 years ago. I don't even know if Anglo-Saxons is the correct. I don't know. I don't want to sound like I know things. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, yeah. yeah. It's been, yeah, I, I, I don't think there is solid enough evidence anywhere in this book to set up a timeline. 
It just happened at some point at all. in the past. Like, yeah. yeah. That's fair. <laughs> I think people have tried to set up timelines for that. There's just not enough. Yeah. But yeah, so it's an interesting thought, but I, I really don't right. know when that happened. Also, Ellen makes a comment that like, why wouldn't anybody have, which is similar to something I said this episode, but why wouldn't anybody have used Girl on Dragon as like a cheap excuse to get one done? Um, because it's basically almost done. And but does stipulate that like then you don't know who you're stuck with for eternity because you're right. with. So I don't know. We have, we think alike. Great minds, Ellen. <laughs> but yeah, so great question. I don't know the answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> Next, we have another comment from Bastion. This is still episode, episode 100. 100. Yeah. <laughs> and it's talking a little bit about their thoughts behind kettle's secrecy and that there's one part that is she's probably influenced by the white prophet teaching that right now the whites as it stands believe in you can't do anything till you know you can't undo it (laughs) um that like if you can you know you're not gonna be able to undo something you shouldn't act on it Uh, There's also the idea that she's influenced by the philosophy of the stone game, which is that people need to figure things out themselves so they really learn the lesson. And so I really like this, Mm -hmm. these thoughts of like what's potentially influencing her. Influencing her not to speak up when she has that rant of saying like, you're the catalyst, you have to do everything. Yes. So great ideas. Mm -hmm. Definitely do feel like... It's still a little bit of her own self-importance, but <laughs> but I do I do like the idea that like first of all there's like her whole philosophy and what she was trained 200 years ago and probably still believes in learning. But also I didn't even think about the fact that Claris would have an influence on how people see the white oh yeah prophet teaching. Mm-hmm. So very interesting. They direct everything for it. Yes. And then lastly, on that episode, at least Sasha had a. A response to Emma's question that she posed for that episode, it was, if you built a skill beast, what would it look like? And Sasha went a different way and said, if Fitz hadn't carved, you know, the wolf, Mm -hmm. this is what the dragon could have been, or at least what this person is imagining the dragon could have been. In all black with a silver streak running down the center spine, a tail with sharpened silver scales at the tip that resemble axe blades, black eyes with a hint of green. Horns similar to Maleficent's, mounted in, in the head, but spindly, more like Buck, uh, a buck's to resemble his sigil. Silver wolf teeth and talons like a crow. I feel like the crow for Motley, you know, wolf obvious. The silver streak for Badger Lock. The buck horns, the axe blades for chosen weapon. It all is 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 very clear. And I could agree with it if it's just Fitz and Night Eyes going in. Except I don't think it would be like an all-black dragon. I think there would be some blue in there, dark blue, because he just has such an affinity for it because of the six duchies in right. Buckkeep. That's fair. With the Fool also joining, or if we're assuming that, right? I feel like it would be a little more colorful. <laughs> <laughs> fair. Or like... <laughs> we get some bright yellows, because Fitz look good in yellow. You uh-huh, know, like whatever yeah. the... <laughs> Some puffy sleeves on the dragon. Yep, some lace, you know. (laughs) Um, No, but it was really fun to see, you know, like what a thought could be 
for a dragon for Fitz. I really liked that. That was really fun. Mm-hmm. And we also got uh, somebody sent in a drawing of their own skill dragon, yeah. which was also really cool. It was cool to see. Um, what would yours look like or like a combination of animals or anything? Mm, I I don't know. I feel like it would be really funny to do a flying pig um, because like <laughs> when there's pigs a, fly. Yeah. The idiom of like, I'll do that when pigs fly. I think that'd be so funny. And I'm a big pun person. So <laughs> So I'd probably do something like that. Although, I don't know. I, I think it'd be cool to have a dragon. And it'd have to be like... I feel like I'd be very red. boring. And do, do like the classic like Smaug dragon kind of thing, you know? Okay, sure, sure. From The Hobbit. I don't know. I But I would want like like a flower crown or something on my dragon. Like I want it to mm. be cool, f- spunky. and <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Unique and artsy. <laughs> Not like other dragons. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, I feel like it'd be pretty boring and straightforward dragon or or do something. You know, I, I feel like the idea of doing something like Pete's dragon would be hilarious because it's like <laughs> pot bellied and like. <laughs> right. <laughs> A little goofy looking. Yeah, but in reality, I'd probably just do straight up like ferocious, fierce dragon. I'm edgy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Having like some wolf features in there would be cool just because I've read the books, you know. Right, like, right. That's fair. That's fair. Maybe a giraffe with wings just because it'd be funny to see. The long neck just flying yeah. around. <laughs> just chilling. <laughs> we do have a couple things about episode 101 as well. Uh, the last chapter that we did, Kettle's Secrets. And that was uh, also from Bastion speaking on the. Fortress, the Buckkeep Fortress itself. We were talking about the Witness Stones and like the like what happened, how weathered they were. Uh, there's some in the the foundation of Buckkeep, all that sort of thing. That conversation surrounding that. Bastion does remind us of a couple things here, which is great to point out because I totally forgot about them while discussing that. Is one Buckkeep was originally a wooden fortress that Taker took over. But that wooden fortress was built on the ruins of an existing fortress foundations. So they think that the uh, witness stone would have already been there probably from this probably previous like elderling outpost or stopping point or small city right. of some sort or guard point on this cliff. And uh, that's probably why it was there. And then secondly, the last trilogy they discuss uh how at least in the skill scrolls they're talking about how the markings and the runes on the witness stone itself were chiseled off purposefully they weren't weathered down at all right they were purposely scored off because of some like students doing something terrible or dangerous or something like that so they were purposely marred and destroyed so you couldn't see what the runes were so that was a good thing to point out so thank you for that yeah and it really does like bring a little bit more understanding as to like what's going on Mm -hmm. um also a good reminder that there was at some point some type of elderling city in buck right um which i forgot because there is like some evidence of skill stones there's a whole village that's abandoned that nobody will go to because it's a ghost town yeah something like that there's also the uh um 
There's also the inn that Fitz is in. I think in the Tawny Man trilogy yes. that he has to like crawl out the window of because he's getting bothered and it's used by Skillstone. Yeah, like the foundation I forgot about Skillstone. That. Things like that. There's evidence of it around. It's just not as prevalent besides, you know, like the witness stones and a couple right. other things. The last thing that Bastion does point out in that is our discussion about the stone dragons and what their purpose was and the statues themselves. Uh, he makes the the comment and the mention that Tintaglia, from her point of view, discusses them, that they were homages to dragons, but it is from a dragon's point of view, so we don't actually know what the what? human reasoning for it was. Exactly, yeah. Because dragons are, you know, extremely arrogant. They're basically cats with wings. Yes. <laughs> They're arrogant and they don't really know how humans work. Yeah. So, or care. Good thing to, to keep know. in mind. So we're we're kind of still in the same place, but it does confirm at least from one point of view, a biased point of view, but one point of view <laughs> that they were homages, which we were kind of discussing and thought anyways. Right. That since the civilizations were built around serving dragons and mm -hmm. having relationships with dragons, that that would be a logical step for Elderlings to create. Right. I do wonder if there is some point where they're like oh we can use these to fight the dragons and then you just can't like there's no yeah maybe like because they did go to war with one another right the otherling civilizations so potentially that could have been but i also think that they would have realized that it's not possible because once you get sucked in it does like first of all you can't do it alone so maybe they could back in the day maybe that's true yeah. that's true i don't know it is really interesting though to think about so mm-hmm Thank you guys for reaching out to us and reminding us of really interesting things and asking questions. We really enjoy hearing from you and we can't wait to hear what you guys think of next week. Thanks so much. 